Hey now, and welcome back to the Passionate Stewardship Podcast, a podcast for helping professionals who strongly believe in supporting their community and the humans who live there. I am your host, Dr. Sherry, and welcome to today's episode. So today I thought I would share with you a little bit about myself. So I figured, you know what? If I am going to trust you, then to listen in every Thursday to this good information, then you know what? Let me share with you a little bit about me. And just so you won't be sitting back saying, Hoppo, who this woman? Y'all remember that from The Color Purple, which is one of my favorite movies. I love Alice Walker. You know what? Let's do this. Let me open up a little bit because I want us to be podcast friends. You know, I don't want this to be some stuffy, even though I am a doctor, like for real, for real. I don't want this to be some stuffy podcast where we're always talking clinical. I want this to be a place where we come and connect. I want us to really create a community, a community of other helping professionals, a community of other human service professionals, a community of other social workers. And so let's connect. So we're going to connect today. Okay. So let the connection begin. I am a proud Washingtonian. So I was born and raised in Washington, D.C., where go-go music and mumbo sauce are the music and condiment of choice. Shout out to Capital City Mumbo Sauce. And if you did not get your first job through Marion Berry Summer Youth Employment Program, then baby, you did not get your first summer job. So you should have like a a ton of colorful t-shirts because every summer you got a colorful t-shirt at orientation. (laughs) So I think I'm aging myself right now. But needless to say, although I call North Carolina home right now, D.C. has always been that place that I was born in that raised me and that made me the woman that I am right now. So I often tell people that D.C. born and raised me, but North Carolina now loves me because my amazing husband is from North Carolina. So I moved here several years ago to be with him. I am a D.C. girl tried and true. I was educated in the D.C. public school system. I was raised in the church, True Pentecostal Church of Christ, Incorporated. I was raised by my parents very early on. Then my grandparents raised me much of my childhood. I was raised in the church again. I was raised to serve. I saw my grandparents serve the church and serve the community. We lived on a street where you played outside. You know, it wasn't no PlayStation. And I think Atari was the game back then, but we didn't have that. So you went outside and played jump rope and you played double dutch and you better not have been (laughs) double-handed. So you went outside and played jacks and hopscotch and you better have been on that front porch when the street light came on. You know, so we didn't have iPads and all of the stuff that children have now. Like we went outside and learned how to ride bikes and roller skate. Although those aren't things that I don't know how to do. Don't judge me. But yeah, but growing up, I saw my grandparents serve. 
So I learned how to serve and how to support people and how to be there for people and serve my community by seeing my grandparents do it. My grandmother was a missionary in a church, so she'd always be cooking and you know, you got the sick and shut in and sick and shut in list at church. So they'd cook up something and send it over sister so-and-so house. And my grandfather was a deacon. And so I, I, that's what I saw in my community, you know, part of the curriculum in school then, which is also a part of the curriculum in school now and is volunteering. So I was volunteering at a very, very early age. I served in church, sang on the choir. I was an usher. I was raised to serve. Books are my love language, y'all. When I tell you books are my love language, like books are my love language. Right now, my best friend, Brittany, and also my good girlfriend, Uncle Brooke. So shout out to Brittany and Uncle Brooke. Like right now, we will gift each other books. So a book comes out, I'll call Brittany. Hey, do you have such and such? I'll call Brooke. Hey, do you have such and such? They say no. If I buy it for me, I buy it for them. Birthdays, we gift we gift each other books. Christmas, we'll gift each other books or gift cards to buy books. We love books. I love books. I gift books. I read all the time. Right now, my commute is an hour forty five minutes to and from work every day. So I am constantly listening to something on Audible. I'm constantly listening to podcasts. So not only am I now a podcast host, but I am also a lover of other podcasts. So statistics say that on average, a person is listening to seven different podcasts. I would beg to differ. I probably listen to about between, I'm going to say between seven and 10 podcasts. And hopefully later on down the line in the podcast, we might even have a book corner where I'll share with you what I'm reading for the month. But I love, love, love books. Even as a little girl, I had an uncle, shout out to Uncle Dwight, he wouldn't gift us toys as children. I mean, then it kind of sucked. But as an adult now, I now realize that that ignited my love of reading and my love of education. We had good old encyclopedias back in the day. We had the ebony black encyclopedia, but we also had like your traditional encyclopedia because, you know, then... Internet had just started to become mainstream, but then it was the dial-up. So you had to put the telephone cord into it and it was like, bing, make all that noise. But yeah, other than that, we had encyclopedias. So from there, I love to read. My grandparents used to make us read the dictionaries. I love to read. So that's a little something about me. I was always taught to treat others how you want to be treated. And I really lived my life that way. I was always taught to treat people with kindness. I truly believe kindness is free. It costs you nothing. So you should treat people with kindness every single day because at the end of the day, you don't know what someone else is going through. And just sometimes just smiling to say, have you ever just walked down the street and just smiled at somebody? A lot of times just smiling at somebody, even if they're not smiling, what do they do? They smile back at you. So kindness is free. Being nice to someone is free. A smile don't cost you nothing. And I'm not saying you got to go walking down the street and give them all teeth, but just show kindness, show an expression of, of joy and kindness on your face. It'll go a long, long way. I was raised to say yes, ma'am and no, ma'am and yes, sir and no, sir. Was raised to always respect my elders. Even to this day, 
I don't call my uncles and aunts by their first name. I call them Uncle Dwight and Uncle Ty and Aunt Candace. That's the way I was raised. It's the way I raised my son. I have an amazing, amazing, amazing son. He is the love of my life. I would do anything for that young man. I'm so, so proud of him and who he is. So yeah, I am a city girl now living in the country. I just had a garden for the first time. And when I tell my girlfriends in DC that I had a garden, they always say to me, girl, stop. But I did. I had a garden this past summer. So I'm kind of into gardening now. And I never, never even thought that I would have something like that. But it brought me so much joy and so much peace to be able to do a shared activity like that with my husband. And we were able to kind of just eat the the vegetables that we brought, even though some of the the nice outside animals got into our watermelons. But, you know, most of the, the fruits and vegetables that we grew, we were able to eat ourselves. And I never ever, living in D.C., I never ever saw myself having a garden. But, you know, that's the benefits of good old North Carolina country living. So my first, I guess, position, if you will, in human services When I was in high school, I uh, was part of what they call, it was like, I guess called like the stay in school program with the federal government. So as long as you worked, you were able to be a part of this program. So my senior year in high school, I had a half a day schedule and I worked for the federal government. But my first position, like really as in like the human services, my first taste of human services work. I was volunteering for a domestic violence organization in the district called My Sister's Place. And it was such an amazing experience. It humbled me. It it taught me a lot. And that it just sparked something in me. So my grandfather used to always tell me with a mouth like mine, I should have been a lawyer because I love to debate. I love to debate. I love to advocate for people. I will. I was the why kid growing up. Like if something was going on, why? To me, there is a reason for everything. But why? But why, granddad? But why, grandma? Like, but why? So I love to research. I love to find out the why. So he used to always say with that kind of mouth, he used to call me mouth the almighty <laughs> and used to say to me all the time, like, you should be a lawyer. And not to be, not to get spiritual or religious in any way, because this is not a spiritual or a religious podcast. However, I found very early on and discovered very early on the work that God wanted me to do in this world and how he wanted me to show up in this world. And working in the field of human services and being a human services professional, in my opinion, and I, I stress that. It's this is my opinion. It is my opinion that human services work was the work that God had placed in my heart to do. There is no level of work that brings me more joy than walking with, not walking for, but walking with a client or even another human service professional as they work through supporting another client or walking with a client as they take the necessary steps to take their life to the next level. Like it brings me so much joy. Now, I am not coming from a place where I think I can save the world because I know I can't. 
I am not coming from a place where I think I have all the answers because I know that I don't. And although I am a legit doctor, went to school for it and all that good stuff, graduated and all that good stuff, I know that in order to do this work effectively, it definitely takes a community. I truly believe it takes a village. I truly believe it takes a community of amazing providers. I believe it takes a community of amazing supports, both internally and externally, in order for human service professionals and social workers to be able to show up for their clients. And the same thing for clients. It takes amazing support systems for them to be able to show up for themselves. And sometimes, you know, our clients don't have those support systems and we become those support systems for our clients. With that said, I knew that this was the work that God placed in my life on my heart to do. And I just, after that first taste, I just immersed myself and made sure that every job that I took was very intentional and it was human services related. And I made sure that my education and my education endeavors was, were always tailored around human services. Didn't choose social work, but I chose human services. And that was my choice. It was intentional. I definitely researched both disciplines before I made the decision. But it was human services was the decision and was the route that I went. And I don't regret it. Not one day. So again, I started volunteering at my sister's place. It was just a volunteer opportunity, but that was, I went through the training, but that was my first taste of human services. And then I started working for a transitional housing program for women. And that was, that was just, it was amazing. Like the resiliency of the women that I got a chance to, to interact with and to work with, it was, they were just phenomenal. Like one of the things that I enjoy the most about human services work is connecting with the clients. You know, a lot of times people connect with clients and they, and I'm not saying that all client experiences are easy because they're not. And I'm not saying that all client experiences are positive because they are not. But our clients that we face every single day, they are some of the most resilient, strong individuals that you'll ever meet. And one of the things that I always say when, whenever anyone asks me why I do human services work and why, why have you been doing it so long? And, you know, a lot of times when I speak at conferences and, you know, like when you go out and like after conferences and you like maybe go out to dinner or whatever and someone, oh, why are you in town? And you tell them what they do and their first response, especially if they aren't doing the work, is like, oh, those poor people. Like, no, 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 no. Because see, don't forget, you, me, anyone, whether you are doing this work or not, you are not exempt from being on the other side of that desk. I'm going to say that one more time for the people in the back who maybe you didn't hear me. You are not exempt from being on the opposite side of that desk, regardless of what area of human services work you work in or what area of social work you work in, you are not exempt from being on the other side of that desk. So if you were on the other side of that desk, 
what kind of professional would you want to show up for you? Do you ever think about that? So I always put that in the forefront of my mind whenever I show up for a client within an organization that I am working at or working with. Because I always want someone to show up for me in a, in, in a compassionate way. I always want someone to show up for me in a place of non-judgment. I always want someone to show up for me in a way that is supportive. Don't look down on me. Don't help me, support me. I want someone to show up for me in a way that is unlike anything that I've ever experienced before in a positive way. So after I worked at New Endeavors by Women, I then started working at Samaritan Inns. And that was, oh, I didn't say the organization at first. So it was called New Endeavors by Women, an amazing organization. And then after that, I started working for a drug treatment program called Samaritan Inns. And, and Samaritan Inns was, that was, I, I, I often refer to Samaritan Inns as my human services boot camp. Because baby, ooh child, I learned so much about myself, both negative and positive. I learned who I wanted to show up as a human service professional. I also learned who I did not ever want to show up as, as a human service professional. And that is not to slight others, but I just knew how I wanted to always show up regardless of what environment or what area of human services I worked in, I, it made me realize how I always wanted to show up. But it was hard. And in both Samaritan Inns and New Endeavors by Women, they were very early on in my career. So at that time, I was, you know, I was still learning I was still trying to get my feet wet in the career. And, you know, when you're very early on in your career, sometimes you will, at least for me, let me speak for I, I would take positions so I could get the experience because I wanted the experience. I never wanted to be, I wanted to be knowledgeable in different areas until I found my, what we call niche. And so I wanted the experience and I definitely didn't jump job to job because no position was I ever at under five years. Um, I believe in longevity. I believe in growth in within organizations because I believe as you mature as an individual, you're, you also mature professionally. So, but I learned so much at Samaritan Inns. Then I went to an organization um, that is no longer open, Our Place DC. This probably is, was one of my most rewarding and one of the, my, my, probably my top three organizations that I worked at. Our Place DC was a nonprofit. All of these are nonprofit organizations, by the way. Our Place DC was an organization that provided services to DC women who were incarcerated. And I absolutely loved working at Our Place DC. And I think I was there probably about seven or eight years and worked really hard and was promoted several times while I was there. And I got the opportunity to go into uh, prisons that housed 
DC women and connect with DC women. And it was some of the most rewarding experiences of my life. You know, when a person is incarcerated, they become a number. For DC, you become a, what they call a DC, DC number. And when you are incarcerated in the feds, you become this fed number. But for me, I need, I want to know your name because you're going to be Miss so-and-so or Mr. so-and-so because behind that number, there's a person, you know, behind that number, somebody's father, somebody's mother, somebody's child, somebody's sister, somebody's brother. And if you are incarcerated, that means judge and jury has already decided your fate in that moment. It is not my job to continue to punish you for what you are already being punished for. What is my job is to treat you with dignity and respect. So those were some of the most rewarding opportunities. Um, while at Our Place DC, I was able to cultivate their HIV AIDS program. I did a lot of HIV advocacy in DC, which was really rewarding during President Obama's first run for presidency. He actually came to the Dunkin' Donuts that was right beside the office. So I never forget the day. I remember it as if it happened yesterday. I had gotten to the office early. The executive director at the time, her name was Susan Galbraith. She came upstairs and she's like, I think something's getting ready to happen. And it was when I came in that morning, it was super quiet that morning. And, but it wasn't out of the norm because it was really early. She came upstairs. She said, I think the president is getting ready to come, come through because it was primary day in D.C. So for those of us who were in the office, we went downstairs and lo and behold, President Barack Obama walked across the street. He was going into Dunkin Donuts to buy donuts. A group of us were standing outside of, I believe the address to the building at the time was like 801 Pennsylvania Avenue. We were all standing outside of 801 Pennsylvania Avenue. He shook our hand. When I tell you we were on cloud nine, baby, he was not president yet, but we had just shook the hand of the man who would become our first black president. And we, I, we, it was even hard for us to function the rest of the day. Because we had staff meeting like that morning. So in staff meeting, we were all just kind of sitting there like looking at our hand like, did that just happen? Did we just, did, 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 did we just shake Barack Obama's hand? And so we have pictures, but there's like some really weird pictures because they're like super. And this is when disposable cameras were, <laughs> oh my God, I'm aging myself. But this is like when disposable cameras, like camera phones weren't even the thing then. Even though I think maybe some phones had camera phones, but we had disposable cameras. So like some of the, the pictures are like super, super close. Like you could almost see up his nose, but it, it didn't matter. It was like presidential candidate at the time, Barack Obama, who months later became President Barack Obama. Like it was a day, like I have chill bumps just talking about it. So that was a super highlight for us. And it's a day that I will remember forever. It's so funny because when I go to my girlfriend, Brittany's house, like she has one of the pictures. I still have the picture, but I don't have it up in my house. But Brittany like literally has the picture up in her house. Like, like it's a family member. It's, it's so funny. 
So after leaving our place, DC, I went and worked for an organization in DC called Jubilee Housing. And Jubilee Housing is an affordable housing organization. However, I was hired to develop their reentry housing initiative. And this is probably, so if I had to rank my jobs, I would rank our place, DC, Jubilee Housing, and I'll tell you about the last organization in a minute, my top three favorites. And Jubilee Housing helped, I was able to develop a reentry housing program for men and for women who were returning back to the DC community after incarceration. And it was a dream. It was a dream, y'all, because I was able to develop something that men and women who were incarcerated, whether in jail or in federal prison, were able to come back to. So I was able to create something that was tangible and intangible. And I was able to create something that if the shoe was on the other foot, if it were me coming home, that I would want to live in. And it was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. And I, I, in that organization, I also learned who I wanted to show up as, as an executive director, but who I also did not want to be as a leader. And that's not a good thing or a bad thing, but I think that's what you take away from every job that you are ever on, who you want to be and who you don't want to be. It's like, you know, you, it's taking away learning opportunities wherever you are. And I went into the prisons and went into the jails and it was such, they were always the highlight. The travel sometimes was a bit daunting, but it was just always the highlight. And then I worked for Industry Village, which is an amazing nonprofit also in Washington, D.C. So that's probably my top. So my top three, Our Place D.C., Jubilee Housing and Industry Village. And they're a homeless organization. Um, they also provide some supportive housing and also provide some housing for um, women who have an HIV or AIDS diagnosis. Another amazing organization. I have been fortunate enough and blessed enough to work at some amazing nonprofit organizations in Washington, D.C., providing human services to some amazing, amazing, amazing DC residents. And to be honest, despite the times where I, when I felt like my supervisors or people that um, were the higher ups didn't care about me as a professional, sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes it didn't matter because I knew I was there for a bigger picture. I believed in the mission and I believed in the work that I was doing for the clients that I was serving. So that's a little bit of my resume. So what do I do now? So I have this podcast and I'm so glad that you're listening. But now I serve as the executive director for a nonprofit organization in Wilson, North Carolina. So the same, the same organization that I mentioned in episode one. So I'm the executive director for a domestic violence, sexual assault, and human trafficking response organization. So I do that and I love it. And I provide leadership to some of the most amazing professionals. When I say amazing professionals, I could not ask for a better team to be working with. I also have... I'm also the owner of a small consulting and coaching boutique, LC Consulting and Coaching. It's where we provide organizational development, 
and culture change resources, solutions, and services to nonprofit organizations, human service professionals, and social workers. And it is a labor of love that came out of the work that went into my dissertation and what I was seeing in the organizations that I've worked with over the years and the organizations that I work with now and just having conversations with a lot of colleagues and just my years of experience and just working with my with my own business coach and just trying to figure out, okay, girl, what's next? You have been serving on the front line for so long, like what's next? And just me coming into my own as an executive director and showing up in a way that I'm proud of for my own team that I work with. Our mission at LC Consulting and Coaching is to combat the dangers of burnout, compassion fatigue, loss of time and passion, and exhaustion of energy and resources within the service providers of the Black and African diaspora. Simply put, we strive for them to thrive. In our work that we do at LC Consulting and Coaching, we advocate that organizational systems be structured adequately to care for employees of color. For an organization to succeed at this, there must be resources for employees to process their vicarious trauma, their burnout, the resource depletion behaviors that exist, the secondary trauma, and the many injustices that occur on a systems level that impact both the client-centered work internally and externally for black body professionals. A lot of this work also came out of my dissertation. So during my dissertation, I, it was a quantitative research study. However, I, and I really, really wish I had done some qualitative, but it was quantitative. But a lot of the data highlighted African-American women and the struggles of African-American women and women of the Black diaspora who are doing this work. And when I talk to my colleagues and when I talk to other executive directors and when I talk to other organizations, it's Black-bodied professionals who are struggling the most in this work. Those are the individuals that we want to respond to and we want to help organizations who support Black-bodied professionals so they can respond to these individuals more effectively. So our coaching at LC Consulting and Coaching is centered around frontline and client-centered professionals who identify as either female or woman, um, are part of the African or Black diaspora, and serve in the professional role as human service professionals and social workers. Can y'all tell how much I love human service professionals and social workers? <laughs> our coaching is centered on supporting our clients in their journey to find healthy balance in their careers. Because it's really hard to find balance when you are a human service professional and social worker, because sometimes the hours are long and sometimes you deal with such hard cases that will completely drain you of your resources during the day that you have no resources left for yourself in the evening. It is our priority in our coaching and consulting to help keep the passion alive and at the forefront of what you do as a human service professional or a social worker. As a woman and a female of color in the workplace, you face many unique challenges 
And it is our job and expertise to support you in navigating those unique challenges in a way that is holistic. So along with the pandemic being just a thorn over the past three years, we have also been faced with racial after racial injustice after racial injustice after racial injustice. And that has impacted us in so many different ways. So imagine having to face a pandemic and face all of the social and racial injustices that have happened in the world, especially over the past three years, and then still having to show up for work every day, but then working in an environment that's not equipped to support you in processing all of that. And organizations need to be equipped to support you in processing all of that also. You know, organizations have to be equipped to, uh, to create environments where you can, hey, take a pause. Let's process what's going on right now. And then let's move forward. Like we understand that there are funding deadlines and clients need us. But at the same time, Staff need us too, and, and that has to be in the forefront. So I have given you a little bit about Dr. Sherry today. And yes, I am a real doctor, graduated with my PhD in human services with a multidisciplinary specialization. But I want to make sure that this podcast is not all stuffy and clinical. Like we will have some real candid conversations about this work, but we will also get clinical and very technical from time to time. But for the most part, this is a real podcast, ladies and gentlemen. And I thank you so much for listening today and just learning a little bit about me. So remember, self-care is health care and kindness is free. So do me a favor and be kind to somebody today, please. I love you for listening. And until next time, be good to yourself and to others. Bye. Thank you.